If you'll open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15 and verse 26. Exodus 15 and verse 26. I would assume that most, if not all of you, are familiar with this verse because it was an early introduction in your life when you came to the Lord. This is one of the messages that was presented to you, and you could receive it. If you were spirit-filled, you could. I remember in my own life, and that's the best testimony that I can think of, early in my life when I was saved, I didn't have much interest in study or knowing what the Bible meant. The only thing I was wanting to do was maybe attend church and think myself better than others because I did, and that was it. After I got saved in 1968, shortly thereafter in the fall, I was filled with the Holy Spirit, which today means you speak in tongues. We call it the full gospel or Pentecostal or the baptizing of the Holy Ghost. And there was this fancy new word that we heard then. I never heard it before. It was called charismatic. It was a word that described those who had received the Holy Spirit. And we were called charismatic. Charismatic life opened up a new door for me. There was no longer any restraint in what you heard taught. Once you feel the Holy Ghost, everything opens up to you. You know, prior to that, there's some things that the church would not teach on, like healing. Because not only did very few people ever understand divine healing, but most of the people who preached it did not believe it. And therefore, it was never taught. We were never informed, so it was never an issue. And it wasn't long after I got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit that I was introduced to that charismatic crowd, that full gospel crowd. We got to hanging around people who had this, what we call the deeper experience. Like we go to Louisville on certain nights of the month or a night of the month to a full gospel businessmen's fellowship meeting. And it was all about charismatic businessmen who meet together and basically share testimonies. And I remember going to those meetings early on and heard so many testimonies about healing. Wonderful healings that took place where it was the end of the road for a lot of people. It was a fatal illness, advanced disease, or an accident, or something that impaired somebody or was about to terminate a life. And they would hear these glowing testimonies of how God intervened in that person's life and healed them. Now, never having heard anything like that before, knowing absolutely nothing about it, but questioning most of it, I sat there with wonder in my mind, thinking, I've never heard such a thing before. I knew it had to be true because, again, as things open up, when the Spirit of God comes into your life, things that you couldn't see before, now you can see. You may not understand it. You may not grasp it yet, but it's there, and it's something that you know is yours. And you hear these testimonies, a encouraged you because you begin to thinking, well, you know, would God do that for me if I ever had something happen to me like that? Would God protect me? Or somebody mentioned health. You know, you don't have to be healed. You can be well. And I thought, oh, how can that be? How could that be? 
I live in the same world everybody else lives in. It's a world which is all about sickness and disease. That's not the only subject, of course. You can throw war in there, money. But so much of what plagues the mind of man is illness and sickness. Being impaired, not able to function, losing your life early, being confined in some way where you cannot have any quality of life, not able to do what you used to do or what others do. And it was sort of a great dread on people's lives. In our text, Exodus fifteen twenty six, it says, If, now this is a condition, just because we read this and our eyes are open to see this doesn't mean it works. If you don't meet the conditions, you have to be willing to do this. Not all are. But if you're willing, here's what it says. If you will diligently listen to what God is saying, if you will do what is right in his sight, what he says is right, listen and do what is right, and if you will give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, four things. They're not things you can't do. They're not things that are over your head. They're things you can do. This is what God says. I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. That was actually a covenant name that he gave. You might have a footnote or in a center column of your Bible, it might say uh, something like Jehovah Raphael or something like that. But his covenant name was Raphael, which means I am the Lord your curer. Now, God introduced himself to his people who had seen the diseases of Egypt, who had seen the dreadful things that mankind went through in those days in Egypt. And God's knowing that these things plagued the mind of man. They bring great fear and distress and uncertainty and all of that. God said, none of those diseases will be put on you. Because you see, to you, I'm your doctor. I am your physician. I am the one who will heal you. Now, if a man can believe that, if he could just have that as a surety, not just say, oh, that's good, God said that, but how do I know he will? Well, he said he would, didn't he? Didn't God say he would? If he said he would, then he will. God is not a man that he should lie no, the son of man that he should repent or turn it around, turn it backwards. But if he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he will make it good. He'll make it work because he is God and he can. And there is nothing, as he says in the Bible, there is nothing too hard for him. Man's great dread in life. Man's great dread is illness, sickness, and disease the loss of opportunities, the loss of physical freedoms, the idea that your life is going to be cut short by a disease, an illness, some little tiny microscopic something can slay the most healthy-looking one in the world. Let me give you a personal testimony. When I was growing up as a child, my grade school years, junior high school years, there was nothing that we as youngsters dreaded more than polio. 
At that time in my life, it was a dreadful disease because if you got polio, essentially your life was over. Some got it so bad they couldn't breathe anymore. They put them in what was called iron lungs, a big round tube with a glass you could look in, and it did your breathing for you, basically. And you just laid there the rest of your life like that. And we knew that. That was emphasized. People talked about their fears all the time in discussions which children can hear. Parents talk about. It's talked about all this and that, oh, what we do and this would be awful. We'll shrivel up and never be able to walk and have to be on crutches. We'll never be able to run and play and do all the normal things that seems like we ought to be able to do. And there was this tremendous, dreadful fear, especially in the summer, of polio. And when they invented this Sox vaccine for polio, it was like, give me three cups of it. He'd give you one little cup. <laughs> and that was kind of like a great relief because now it seems you'd never have to have it again. And it did, of course, deter the whole thing. But sickness and disease. Again, we've heard our parents talk about it. We've heard it on the news, most of the evening networks, the afternoon news. Most all the commercials are about pills and drugs and sickness. And you're informed you're going to get this. You're going to have one of these. And they tell you how bad it is if you don't take a particular kind of drug or some kind of a compound. And you learn to think sick. Your mind is all about sickness. And therefore, man's great dread is sickness and disease. And listen to this. God's great promise is healing. So that we don't have to dread those things anymore. Whom should I fear? Of what should I be afraid, Paul writes, if God be for me and he is for me? Who can be against me? Why should I be afraid of something that God has said, don't worry about that, take no thought, not even for your life? Remember that in the Sermon on the Mount? Take no thought for your life. God has provided all of our needs according to his riches and glory. And one of the great basic needs that he has provided is healing. The word for healing, which is sozo, is used 54 times. There's a family of words there, but essentially the word has to do with eternal life. To be saved, for some people to be saved is only to have eternal life because their eyes are closed to a deeper truth. Then others, when your eyes are open, saved can also mean deliverance, protection, safety, preservation. In being preserved, you're being saved. In being protected, you're being saved. It's an ongoing thing. And many times the word sozo or that family of words saved means healing or to be healed or to be physically set free. Again, man has this natural dread of illness. And we know that if you get a certain disease today, it's kind of a mindset. You get a certain disease, you're going to die. You get a certain condition in your body, you're never going to function normal again. I don't like to mention the names of those things because they're all spirits. But there are these things that are told us all the time of what's going to happen and how they're going to happen, and you're going to be confined and incapacitated, and we're told of all the symptoms of everything that is a telltale sign that you've got something, and then there's this mental battle, the gloom and the doom and the uncertainty and the fears and the apprehension, and then they got pills for that. Man is working overtime, making fortunes on supplying pills for treat man's fears. 
Stress is a terrible thing. Anxiety is a terrible thing. And yet Jesus said, take no thought. If Jesus said to us, take no thought for the things that are killing this world, does it not mean that if he said, take no thought, that he will provide our needs so that we don't have to take thought? Why should I need health insurance if God has said that no evil shall befall me and no plague will come nigh my dwelling, that he will give his angels charge concerning me and they will keep me in all my ways? Then why would I need health insurance? How would I reason with myself as a charismatic in light of the biblical message? And the title of our message today is God's healing message. Finally got the title. In light of God's healing message, which he has promised, which the Bible says God watches over his word to what? Perform it. And concerning any of man's situations on this earth, he said there is nothing too hard for God. It can't be too advanced. It can't be that. It can't be. Have you ever told the Lord in praying, Lord, my body is the temple of God. I know that because the Bible says that. You purchased me with a price. You have made my body your temple, a temple not made with hands. Now, you purchased me, 1 Corinthians 6. You made me yours. Therefore, everything in me belongs to you. My arteries, my heart, my gizmos, you know, stomach, liver, pancreas, kidneys, my endocrine system, everything in me, the hormone, everything belongs to God. Does it not? He expects me to maintain it by living according to his word, which will. But has he left anything out that I need in order to think free? Nothing. God knows that many of man's problems are sickness and illness, and yet God has taken great pains in his Bible to bring a message to us, maybe more than any other message in the New Testament, a message of divine healing and divine protection. I know what kind of gloom comes when people are convinced that they're dying. I still remember well the phone call my brother in 1997 called me and said, Brother, I got good news and bad news. And I said, Well, give me the good news first, and I forget what it was. He told me the bad news. I about dropped the phone because he was dying. But they found out, I said, well, can they do anything? And as they all say, yes, well, they think so, and yes, and they're doing good, and they're doing good, and they're doing good. He said that up until the week or two before he died. Kept thinking, I'm doing good because I'm getting treatments. But this thing just creeps in your body and just took over, and he died. There was a chance he had, I'm sure, in his lifetime to hear the, the message of healing, He probably wouldn't have heard it from me because, you know, big brothers don't listen to little brothers. But I remember the effect it had on my sister-in-law and his family, my nephews, nieces. One of them was a nurse. She knew all along what was going on. And she told me late in his life and late in his disease that dad's not going to make it. And I think, you know, I wish he had known this message. I wish that dreadful church that he committed himself to as a Christian expression 
I wish that miserable church had taken time just to teach him what he could have in this life that man can't give him. All these diseases and these difficult things that come upon man, man can't heal anybody. They can make drugs, and, and that does help. I know that aspirins have been greatly useful to man in killing pain and, and maybe thinning her blood and stuff like that. But I keep hearing these great inventions. Well, they've got a new thing they've come up with, and yet people that get the disease still die because man cannot do this. But God can. There is nothing, there is nothing too hard for God. There is nothing that he cannot do. See, our problem is, again, we've been trained to think sick. People talk about their sickness. If you were in a hospital waiting room and there were two people talking and they're talking about one of their family members in the hospital, they tell you the name of the drug that they're using. They can pronounce it. And they go through, yes, and they're going to try this and do this. That's their hope. That's all they've got. They want the preacher to come in and pray. Maybe that'll help. But their whole life. Is wrapped up in what came out of a laboratory, what was conceived there, and, and what is said to maybe work. But all these remedies in the medical world and their best day through the centuries have not proven to be consistent or proven to work. But one thing has always been true and will never change because God who spoke it will never change it. And that is our text, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now, either he is or he is not. Either he said what he said, so we will trust him, or he's deceiving us. Now, the faith comes by hearing, and hearing by this word, then he's teaching me as a Christian in the renewing of my mind to turn to him and think scriptural. He said, your thoughts are not my thoughts, and therefore your ways are not my ways. But if you put me in all of your thoughts and you let God reform your thinking, you will look at all of life differently than you used to. The mention of certain diseases and conditions and situations don't overwhelm you anymore. You're not afraid of them anymore. Even, you know, sometimes you feel symptoms and you think, I rebuke that in Jesus' name because I don't have to have that. God laid all of that over on Jesus and what God laid on Jesus, the devil has no right to put on me because he bore all of that away for me. Therefore, by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. Now, an unbelieving world thinks you're extreme. They think you're brainwashed and deceived by thinking such a thing is true. The idea that God would heal. Well, God doesn't heal today. Man heals today. He's not doing a very good job of it. Some say, well, God didn't do a very good job either because the church is full of sick people. Well, that's not God's fault because he gave the conditions right here. He can't lie. If he said right here, you do these four things and I will do what he said that he will do, then that's exactly what he does. Man is so afraid. How much money do you suppose America spends on health care? Men have had their life savings wiped out by a disease. And, and then this accumulation of this debt, it becomes an arguing point between a couple. I remember one situation, a trip to the hospital for a skin problem. And the complications of that, 
for like two days is $20,000. Now, it might not be a lot to you, I suspect it is, but 20000 bucks is a lot of money. $20,000. It costs you more to stay in a hospital than it would in the finest resort in the world. And the food's not near as good. And I'm not putting down the people that have dedicated their lives to making others feel better. I know a lot of those people really do try. I admire them for their service and all of the things that they do. But for us as Christians, for those of us who confess we have been redeemed from the hand of the enemy, for those of us who confess that we've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness in the kingdom of his son, those of us who hold to the redemptive process that Jesus gathered for us, we say this, that by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed. We've been delivered. We have been delivered from all of these things, and therefore I don't need health insurance. I don't. Let me show you what I have. Put your finger where you are and turn to the middle of the Bible, to Psalm 91. Here's what I count on. This is what I count on myself, where I personally lean. How's that? Concerning us, he said, you who dwell in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I, as a result of fellowship with him, I will say of the Lord, not of man or man's corporations and systems, but I will say of the Lord. I will say of the Lord that he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, and in him will I trust. I will count on the Lord because the Lord has made provisions for all my needs to be met by him. Therefore, I will count on him to do that. And as a result, as a result, Verse 3, he shall surely, not just he shall, but surely he'll deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. That's the enemy. He will protect you, cover you with his feathers under his wings. You will trust his truth shall be your shield and buckler. Verse 5, you shall not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. He'll protect you. A thousand shall fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. And you better hold on to that one in the hour you're in. Verse 8, only with your eyes shall you behold and see the reward of the wicked. And because you have made the Lord, which is your refuge, even the most high your habitation, Notice verse 10, we quote this often. There shall no evil befall, and neither shall any plague. That's a word for an incurable ailment. No plague shall come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep you in all your ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the adder. Those are your enemies. The young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. And then he says, verse 14, because he has set his love upon me about us, God said, therefore, will I deliver him 
That's one I will. Second, I will set him on high because he has known my name. Thirdly, I will answer him. Fourthly, I will be with him in trouble. Fifthly, I will deliver him and honor him. And verse 16, your life won't be cut short because with long life, God will satisfy you. Let me ask you a question. What's wrong with that? Why wouldn't that make a fearful church, a fearful congregations of professing believers? Why wouldn't that set them all at ease? Praise God. God will take care of us. No evil, no plague. With long life, he'll satisfy us. I'm going home and get rid of my life insurance policy. I'm going home and get rid of my health policy. I'm going to tell the president I don't want it, don't need it, because I've got something better. They can't protect me. Let me tell you something. You can have a platinum card insurance package and die. You can have a car with 43 airbags. Nine systems of protection in it, and you can get killed in it. Or you can ride horse and buggy down the road, praising God, and make it. I'm just saying that what's wrong with the 91st Psalm? What's wrong with like Psalm 41, that if you will have compassion and sympathy and concern for the poor, one of the things he mentioned is he'll heal you from all your sicknesses. What's wrong with that? Why don't we as Christians, why don't we preach that and trust that? It's God's message. It's in your Bible. We haven't misquoted it. It says what it says. Even the Greek says that in the Hebrew. I mean, if that's what he said, that's what he said. We don't have to fear diseases and sicknesses. We don't have to. I know there's a natural aging process. I know there's a slowdown in your life as you get older. You that are young don't think so, and I don't mean you will. I'm just saying that it seems that God has made our body to age, that it's not made to be 20 all your life. But he did say he would renew your youth like the eagles so that whatever in your life, whatever your task is, whatever he's given you to do, he will make you able to do it as though you were still young. So I'm not terrified by age. You know, well, when you get old, this happens and that happens. It doesn't have to. I don't have to get old and just completely fall apart. Take me 10 minutes to get to the kitchen. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. You see it so much, you get accustomed to it because it's a mental thing. That's why your mind has to be renewed. We think like the world. We think dull. We think dread. We think fear. We think sick. We get apprehensive and full of anxiety. The idea that these things could happen to us are very real. Until your mind is switched over and you begin to see like God sees and from his habitation in the most high you begin to think like God when his thoughts become your thoughts how does God think about man's ills we'll read the 8,000 promises God said I'm the Lord that heals you that's our text I am Yahweh Rofika I am the Lord who heals you he might say to us, what more does God need to say? You've got one psalm in the Bible that is dedicated to your well-being. One entire psalm, 91, protects you mentally, physically, from the evil forces in the world, with long life, with being loved, being at peace, and with health and safety. Now, what more 
What more does God have to say to a worrying, fretful church? And yet people constantly, it seems, whether in a place like this or somewhere, they constantly talk about their sickness. Well, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, you know, I don't know what you're going to do there because, you know, it runs in the family. Of course it runs in the family. Why wouldn't it run in the family? That's what the devil does. He runs in families. You read somewhere in here, you have to deal with the devil. You cast him out. You make a command to the devil. Well, I can't see him. You don't have to see him. You talk to him. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Or you can say, the Lord rebuke you from this house. Out you go. You can't do that anymore. You can't have that anymore. You don't operate here anymore like that. I'm glad early in my life that the Lord showed us this message and how that we can lay hands on our children and they'll recover. We raised seven children and not one doctor bill. Now, I don't know what they've done, but I know what they saw us do. That's the way we learned and that's what we taught. That's the way we lived. I remember telling people down at the birth certificate place in Frankfurt once. Who was their doctor? Well, they were born at home. Well, have they had their, they don't have any vaccination. Have they ever been to a doctor? No. I said, they've never been sick. And they say, oh, knock on wood. I said, no. I didn't jump up. Oh, no, I rebuked that. I just said, well, I know what I believe. And it's my testimony. And isn't that the wonderful thing that God has given us to share this with? This message, our testimony? Shouldn't our testimony be according to what he said? Come on. You say, well, I failed. We've all failed. It doesn't mean we quit. We failed because we failed or whatever reason, but that doesn't mean we have to quit. I guarantee you when I was a little boy or a young boy, you got in a fight with somebody and he knocks you down. You didn't say, well, I lost. I'm on the ground. I'm hurt. I'm, I've lost. Usually you were so mad that you get back up and go swinging because you're not done. You're wounded and you're hurt, but you're still swinging. Well, you do that spiritually. A righteous man may fall seven times, but the Lord will lift him up. God ain't going to leave you in a hole. He's given us everything we need as Christians to live a victorious life, to put the devil under your feet and to triumph daily in this life, to say thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We got all these promises. Go back to your text, Exodus 15. All these promises. One of the greatest and one of the best, where it begins, this God's message of healing is right here. He said, I am the Lord that heals you. Knowing that these people were familiar with sickness and disease and, and they saw it all their life, God says, I will heal you. I will heal you. Exodus 23 and verse 25. And you shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless your bread and your water. And God said, and I will deal with the thing you fear the most. I will take away all sickness from the midst of thee. Now, listen, this was an Old Testament promise. The new covenant is based on better promises. This is a pretty good promise. 
Would you agree? This is a pretty good promise. I will take away all sickness from Shelbyville Christian Assembly. And what if God said, you continue to preach this until it's all gone? Preach it until it works. I will take away all sickness from the midst of thee. The Almighty said that in a covenant which is inferior to the new covenant. And then go over to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Now Deuteronomy was a rehearsing of the law before they went into the Canaan's fair and happy land. Uh, just a reminder. Now you've heard this. Listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 12. What a wonderful chapter. If you will hearken, here we go again. These are conditions. If you will hearken and keep and hold on to the things, the way, the covenant, the agreement that God wants you to live by. He not only said in verse 13 that he will love you and bless you and multiply you. Boy, he's done that here. In verse 14, he said, you shall be blessed above all people. There shall not be a male or female among your cattle that are barren. In verse 15, and the Lord will take away from thee all sickness. Again, in the back of their minds, what if we drink that dreadful stuff? Will that hurt the water? How do we know it's good? How do we know that bread? How do we know? How do we know? You know, this could happen. If you do that, you get this. If you go there, this will happen to you. And he said, and the Lord will take away from you all sickness. I remember when I was in India several years ago, back last century, India was not the cleanest place I had ever seen. We went to a restaurant-type place one night, and they gave us a glass to drink out of. It was dark, and it was a light over there, and I kind of held that light up, and I had a chance to look, and I could see the rim wasn't real clean. Like maybe somebody had been there before. And I thought, oh, so I didn't drink anything in that glass. I got back to the room that night, and I got to thinking, I'm almost dehydrated because don't drink the water. And I was being led by fear. So I thought, you know what? I am thirsty, and I'm going to satisfy my thirst. In the name of Jesus, and I went through my little sermon, and I turned the faucet on in the bathroom, and I mean I gulped it and gulped it and gulped it down until, whew, Satisfy my thirst. And, of course, the back of your mind, well, now, you know what's going to happen tomorrow. You're going to stay in this room tomorrow. <laughs> it never did happen. It happened to my roommate. It didn't happen to me. And he was a preacher. I'm just saying, folks, that, that these are things that God gives you. There's mind battles with all the trusting of the Lord, all these steps of faith that you're going to take. Yeah, there are mind battles there. Sometimes you have to do the thing you fear the most so that the thing you fear will die. There's just times you have to say, God, I'm going to take you at your word and not just quote it but not live it. I want to quote it and live it. And if the consequences are, well, then it happens because I'm trusting you. But he said, the Lord will take away from thee all sickness. And we notice he ended that verse. He said, and he will put none of the diseases upon you that were put upon the Egyptians. And they saw it. They saw the dreadful things that happened to them there. And in that wonderful chapter 28 of this same book, Deuteronomy 28, so many of these verses about the curses had to do with sickness. But look at verse 61. 
And every sickness and every plague which is not written in this book of the law, them will the Lord bring upon thee until thou be destroyed. Why? Verse 60, moreover, he will bring upon you all the diseases of Egypt, which you were afraid of, and they shall cleave to you, and every sickness not written in this book he'll bring upon you. You know why he would do that? You know why God would allow that to happen in a person's life who's a church member? Because they don't practice the conditions for being relieved of it. What do you say in verse 1 of Deuteronomy 28? We've all read this. If you will diligently hearken, he keeps saying it. Listen to what God is saying. Don't deny yourself hearing it. Listen to what the Lord is saying. Observe to do all his commandments that he will set you on high. And he said, and all these blessings shall come upon you. And one of those blessings is healing and health and deliverance and safety and preservation and peace and joy with God, expecting eternal life. That's the way we're supposed to live down here. Jesus again said, take no thought for your life. It's not yours to preserve. It belongs to him, and he will preserve it. You may try, but it's either his way or your way. You want to do it your way, then he's out of the equation. You want to cast all your care over on him and let him preserve you, then he will. Because he said concerning you, he will assign his angels to be in charge of your life, and they shall what? They shall protect you in all your ways. They shall keep you. They shall preserve you. What if I told you tonight there are angels in this room who do exactly that? I wish the room was full of them. There might be. But there are specifically, God said he will send an angel on your behalf to protect you and keep you in all your ways. All your ways so that no evil will befall you. Now, there are conditions to that, but that's what he promised. Let me ask you a question. If this is God's message to us, why shouldn't we believe it? This is what he's promised. This is what he does. Of all the dreadful woes in this world, we can look at all of them and say, it's all under the blood. We've been delivered from all that kind of stuff. Remember Psalm 103 and verse 2? Go over there. You ought to memorize all of these. Just commit them to memory. If you read them enough, talk about them enough, you will. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, verse 2. O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. This doesn't belong to everybody. This belongs to God's people. And most of God's people reject it. But for those that don't, he said, these are his benefits. And he said, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. And what else does he say? And he heals, not some, but all. And for those people who say, well, God may not want to heal you, read it again. Who heals all your diseases. He didn't say he left some on you to make you humble. God's bigger than the need to do that. But he said, he heals all your diseases. And then he goes on to say some other wonderful things in there. Go to Psalm 107. You cross the page here a little bit. 
Verse 17, fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Careless Christians are afflicted. Careless and sometimes calloused, indifferent Christians are afflicted. And out of their affliction comes gross unbelief as a doctrine. They believe in divine sickness. God wants me this way it's for his glory and so forth. Whew, verse 20, then he sent his word and did what? He healed them. Healed in the sense of a cure, a curative. Made them well. He sent his word and he healed them. This word healed is a verb which means to heal the flesh. It's the same word used in Isaiah 53 and verse 5. It says, by his stripes we are healed. Same word. It's a Hebrew word which says to us that God, through his word, as an act of his will and his goodness to his people, when they believe him, he heals them. He makes them well. He provides healing for them. Go to the next book, Proverbs 4. This is God's healing message. Proverbs 4 and verse 20. And he says, My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Now what comes out of his word? What will you eventually discover if you stay in it? You will discover this. This will come to you. This Maybe this is that charismatic blessing. He said, let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those that find them, verse 22. And health, that word also means a curative, health to all their flesh. Is that possible? You that are here this morning, is it possible that God's word can literally mean that the effect of his words is like medicine is to flesh. It affects a cure, or it attempts to. Medicine does. God always does. That his word, if you find these words, if you seek them, not just hear them in a sermon and heard them before, but if you look for them, you really want to get to the bottom of it and really be convinced. You want God to do a convincing work in your heart so you search and you seek and you let this word come and settle in your heart. And you find them and your eyes are opened and you begin to see something like you've never seen it before. And you find yourself saying, wow, I see it, Lord. I see it. He said the word then becomes life to your flesh where there was a death working before. Does your Bible say they become life to your flesh? Does it say that or not? I didn't write it. For they are life to those that find them, and let's face it, not many do, but to those that do, the word becomes life. And he said, and they become health unto all their flesh, and health to all their flesh. You live one life in this world, one life. You get to live it one time in the natural body. One time, one life. And you can live it the way you should live it if you will believe what God said. He will preserve your life. He will protect your life. He will keep your life. He will make your life the way it ought to be. In verse 10 of Proverbs 
4. He said, Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. Same word, life, there as we read down in verse 22. For they are life to those that find them. It's your existence in this world. It's your time here. Life, health to your flesh. What more do we want? Here we are. We're relieved of everything that people are passing out over. The Hebrew word for health is marpe, and it refers to the restoration, cure, or removal and renewal of an illness or sickness. That's what health means. I'll tell you what, I don't know if anybody else wants it in the world, anywhere. I want it. If people say, well, you're overboard, then let me be overboard. They say, well, you're extreme, so be it. But if I can look at you and say that I have been well for 40 years and we've had no deductions on insurance or doctor bills for 40 years, then quit pointing your finger at me as though something's wrong with me because there may be something wrong with you. And I am far from perfect. I had a young man tell me one time, he said, you preach on healing too much, like that's all we ever talk about. A man on medicine, a man taking medicine for a condition in his body was complaining that I preach too much on divine healing. And my answer was, I obviously am not speaking on it enough to you because you're taking a medicine for some condition in your body. And he stood there with kind of this mean look on his face, knowing it was true. Here I am complaining about something I don't even have. What's happened to the church? What's happened in the last two or three generations or four? What's happened to people? What distaste has come up from what God has said or for those who live this life or try to practice this or talk this way or give the testimony? Why is it so offensive to so many people in the church? The world doesn't care. Something has really happened wrong in the last days. Is it true what Jesus said that darkness is coming? When no man shall be able to work, work while there's light? While people can still see, while you see? Because one of these days you're going to be taken out of here. One of these days soon. You're going to be lifted off of this earth if you're one of those who are lifted off. If you're one of those who are looking for the Lord to return and you're not being distracted by the world and come quickly, Lord Jesus, he's coming. And a whole lot of people sitting in places like this, they're not going. There's too many other things to do, too many other things more important. And why should I walk out a headache when I can take a couple of aspirins, come on, and be over with it in 10 minutes? It just doesn't make sense. What? Take your aspirins, or you can walk it out and be done with it. People can complain about this message of healing all they want to and cry and whine about it all they wish. But the point of it is, God holds us to living this kind of a life. Isaiah 53, concerning Jesus Christ. He said in verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and has carried our sorrows, and by his stripes we are healed. The word griefs is a word that means illness and sickness. Now, don't get me wrong. I do believe that Jesus, when the Bible says, man of sorrows acquainted with grief, I believe that too. 
because the word once or twice is used with the idea of a mental pressure. Jesus didn't have friends. He had curiosity seekers. They followed him because they saw the miracles. He was forsaken by everybody. All of his friends fled from him at the end. Knowing in the garden what was going to happen to him, the tension in the garden, blood burst through his skin, mingled with sweat and fell to the ground. That's how he was coping. He was alone. There were a lot of sorrows in his life. He grieved over Jerusalem. He saw how indifferent people were and the Pharisees and the religious mindset of the day. I'm sure as the Bible, when it said he cried out at night and was heard because of his piety, I think his heart was, as we would say, you know, as a man, his heart was broken because of the indifference that people had to him and the message he brought. He was God in a body, and they rejected him. Isaiah 53 says, we, we esteemed him as stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Anybody that would talk that way deserves what he got. That's the way we saw him. Well, if you're the Messiah, come off the cross and then we'll believe you. No. But he said he was wounded for our transgressions. For us. The chastisement of our peace was upon him because he was a great sin bearer. He bore away all of our sins. And the results of all of our sins, all the disease and the sickness. Because in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 16, it says, When evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Not most of them, but all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. That's the way the New Testament translates griefs and sorrows with infirmities and sicknesses. You cannot get past that. The most scholarly of men who don't want healing to be now go to great lengths and with great technical words and great scholarship to try to prove that healing is not for today. They try their best to prove that. To say that Jesus did not, when he did what he did, this was not in fulfillment of Isaiah 55. Well, it was too. What did he mean in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 when it says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Well, you were healed from sins, and we were. If sin was a loathsome disease, we were healed by it. And sin brought loathsome diseases, and he healed them. He told a woman who was afflicted once, he said, go and what? No more. Said no more. The man who was lowered through the roof, who had an affliction in his body. What did Jesus say to him? He said, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. He treated sickness as though it was the result of sin. He told them to sin no more. He tells us to sin no more. To think like that. To begin living as though there is a holy life that we must live because there is a door that awaits us. We must make it through. And in this life, we can live on God's terms in such a way that we can be healed. Let me give you four or five things and we'll close this about our stand. One, healing is the will of God. It is the will of God. 
It's plain and it is clear. For those who want to see it, for those who don't want to see it, they can't see it. But for those who want to see it, healing is the will of God. So important is that point is that if you can't grasp that, you'll never have faith for healing. You'll have faith for sickness because you're expecting sickness to come. You believe in it. You talk about it. You're preparing for it with your insurance and all that stuff. You're waiting for it because you believe in it. You believe in for it and you believe in it. And the idea that somebody today would cancel anything but betray his faith in God and be in society a fool. You're a fool, man, in light of all the costs today and all this and that, to not have anything and what, oh. So we are made spectacles to this world. They speak evil of us as they would of evildoers. But some of them cannot deny the fact that for whatever reason, you seem to be an exception. And the reason, of course, is God. He does make an exception out of those who trust him. Jesus came to do the Father's will, and the Bible said he healed them all. In Luke chapter 4, it says, Great multitudes came to Jesus in verse 40. He healed them all. Matthew chapter 9, the Bible said he healed them all. He didn't leave anybody out as though to say, well, I'm God, I can heal, I'm able to heal, but I might not want to heal. If you meet the conditions, then he has to honor his word, doesn't he? He said, I'm the Lord that heals you. Jesus bore our diseases and carried our pain. How else would these folks have gotten healed if it wasn't God's will to heal them? And when evening came, they brought unto him the lunatics, the afflicted, and all manner of sickness. As many as they could find, they lined up at his door. What if they lined up at yours tonight? What if you heard a knock on the door and you heard a noise and you looked out and there's about a 100 people out there and they're all afflicted? They said that we heard you believe in divine healing in Mark 16, that if you lay hands on the sick, they'll recover, and we're here. What would you do? Just a minute. Brother Tom, could you come over here? What? I can't hear you. Got a bad connection. Do it yourself. <laughs> Second thing is sickness does not glorify God. Sickness does not glorify God. If sickness glorified God, then any attempt to get well would make you an enemy of God. It would. It means that every doctor, every nurse, every hospital is a lawbreaker because the very thing they're trying to fix, God doesn't want it fixed. And I don't believe that. Turn to 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 20 as we commence, continue closing. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20 about glorifying God, especially in your body, as well as, he says here, in your spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20. For you are bought with the price. I don't need a lot of commentary there, but you know me. I like to talk about every verse. You were the purchased possession of our Lord. Bought meaning what? Think about it. What does it mean to be bought, to be purchased? 
It means this, that you were somebody else's and you were bought. Now you belong to someone else. You belong to this one, then you were bought from this one. Now you belong to this one. That would make me, in this case, the devil had me and Jesus redeemed me. Through his blood, the purchase redemption, the ransom that was paid, was paid by Jesus Christ in order to redeem me from the power of darkness. Now, he said, as a result, now that you belong to him, in verse 20, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They belong to God in your body and in your spirit. I don't think you glorify God in your body by accepting sickness. I'm not saying that we don't go through trials and have our moments when we have to prove ourselves. We do that. Or any of those that linger in certain illness. I'm not here to, to put anybody down. I am here to exalt the Word of God. I don't know what God knows. I only know what I know. And he said to glorify God in your spirit. And I'll tell you something. In your spirit talks about things about sin. Do you think you glorify God with sin in your life? If you act sinful, do you glorify God? Of course not. We said glorify God in your spirit and your body. You got one. It's a house. You should turn to God with its needs. God is the one who mastered your body. He owns your body. He made your body, knows all the details about your body, knows every little vein your blood courses through and the all the details and the things about that. He knows everything. There's nothing he doesn't know. There's nothing he cannot fix. There's nothing he cannot make well. I don't care if it's advanced. And I've seen this when I was in India. How about leprosy? The fingers are actually gone. They have rotted off. Living rot. They just decay and big sores and they weep and stuff falls off and they put bandages around it and you can see the stain through the blankets of all of that flesh that is rotting and dying away and they stink and nobody touches them because it's that kind of a disease. Dying. I saw one guy sitting in front of a place and I asked the translator, how long will he live? He said he'll be dead this summer. The little boy that assisted him tried to get some money from people helping him. Just a life that has no value, that nobody cares about, nobody wants anything to do with, no responsibility for. Put him in a colony somewhere. Is that a quality of life? Aren't you glad that in you? And yet they came to Jesus like that. And he touched them. Pop. Or once he said, go show yourself to the priest. I don't feel any better since he prayed. You feel any better? No. No, he said, go show yourself to the priest. And the Bible says, as they went, they were healed. It didn't happen the moment he touched them, but as they went, how far they went, they could have been a long journey. But as they went, as they obeyed the word, and look not at their fingers, but just obey. As they went, they were healed. Their flesh is clean again, pink and pretty. They could do this again. They could write a note now. They could pick up a rock. They could pick an apple off of a tree. They could walk plain. They could move around. Now they could fit back inside and enjoy life. 
That's what Jesus does when man can do nothing. The very best a man can do is not even close to what Jesus can do. Jesus cast out spirits with his word. He needed only to touch people. And in one case at Lazarus, he just said, Lazarus, come forth. He wasn't sick. Lazarus wasn't sick. Lazarus was dead. And when he came back to life, whatever caused him to die was gone too. And Jesus didn't touch him. He just said, Lazarus, come forth. And he came out of that grave. It took him a while. If you were wrapped up like that, how could you get up and walk about? I mean, things had to happen. It took a while. I'm sure they were peeking around. You see anything going on here? No. You see anybody in there? No. You reckon it's going to work this time? I don't know. You see anything? No. Oh, oh, oh wait, my, wait, my. Yeah, yeah, here he comes. Here he comes. Sometimes you just have to shut your eyes to what you see. Just shut your eyes to what you feel. <clears throat> Ugh. And you just have to put your eyes on the word of God and say, according to your word, by the stripes of Jesus, I was healed because he bore what I feel. He bore my pains. Therefore, my pains don't have a right to my body. They have to go. Pain is an enemy of mine. I've known a lot of it in my life. I've known a lot about it. And sometimes through my foolishness, I have to relearn it. But pain is an enemy. Sickness is an enemy. Disease is an enemy. It's something to be resisted. It's something to be canceled out of your life because it does not glorify God. The author of all disease and sickness is Satan. He comes to kill and to steal and destroy. Jesus said, I'm coming that you might have what? Life. Two opposites. I've come that you might have life. He comes that you may die. Another thing, God put the ministry of healing in the church. The ministry of healing, the blessing of healing was given to the church. Many in the church say, well, these things have passed away. They no longer are for today. Well, I'd ask the question, is the church for today? If the church is for today, then whatever he put in the church is for today. Are pastors and teachers in the church? Are evangelists in the church? Are they still here? Of course they are. So are the gifts of healings in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The gifts are still here. God has made provisions through gifts, special gifts to heal anything. He's even said these signs in Mark 16 shall follow those who believe. Not all Christians, not all church members believe, but for those who do, he said they can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. He didn't say they would instantly recover, but he said they shall. That's why you got to have faith. And then he talks about all kinds of healings. Call the elders of the church. And what will the elders do? The prayer of faith will do what? Listen to me. I know that you don't. I hope you don't. But the church today on most every corner of America largely ignores all of this. Their faith is still in the systems of man. And again, I'm not against the systems of men. I'm not in competition with them. I'm glad that they're there because a lot of people that I know and love have had to go there and they've been refreshed there and helped there. And so I'm glad that they would. God could have healed them. But if you can't trust the Lord, the world's all you've got. 
But I'm telling you from this pulpit today that what God has provided for you, the world cannot touch it. They cannot heal anything. God can. And he does, and he will. And the world cannot. The world cannot give you help. There is no aging drug. There's no fountain of youth. There's no potion. (laughs) Nothing ever made, found, or invented that can make you healthy or give you health. But God can. I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health. And another thing, as believers, we not only have the privilege, but we have the right to expect an answer to our prayer when it's the prayer of faith, that God will heal us. Amen. He does. That he will take care of us and he will provide for us because he said that he would. I want to close with this. The reason that we, as a church, as a Christian church, as a church in the world, the reason we're not well and healthy is because of sin and unbelief. I know how that must sound to the world out there, which likes to think that you came in here to hear that you're fine and perfect and all is well with you, but it's because of sin and unbelief. Jesus, why couldn't we cast this thing out? They prayed for somebody. The apostles prayed for somebody. They didn't get healed. Remember that? And you read it in Mark 9, you go home. They prayed for somebody. Lord, we couldn't cast it out. Jesus said, bring him to me. What did Jesus do? He ran that thing out. Come out of him. And off he went. They said, why couldn't we do that? We had been doing it. You sent us out two by two. We'd done it before. And then we came to this one, and we couldn't do it. Why couldn't we do it? You know what Jesus said? Because of your unbelief. Us? We're apostles. We're the elite of the elite. We're the inner circle. Unbelief? Us? Oh, no, you couldn't be talking about us. We could never be in unbelief. Who said you couldn't? Jesus wouldn't. But the reason things don't work for us, I'm going to go back and say what he said. It's because of unbelief. Not a lack of knowledge, not a lack of information, but unbelief. In my life, many, many times as a Christian, I've had to believe for healing. Either being injured in some way, falling off of horses, or turning over four-wheelers or something. And I've had to endure some long and painful nights. And in those nights and Prior to that and the time of the healing, my quest is, Lord, have I missed it somewhere? Have I opened a door here for something like this to happen? And he'll show you some little bitty insignificant something, and you want to say, oh, no, that, <laughs> that's not a big enough deal. Who said it wasn't? They stoned the man of the Old Testament for picking up sticks on the Sabbath. Picking up sticks to make a fire. He was stoned for it. It was a Sabbath day. How big does it have to be? It doesn't have to be big at all. You just have to know better. How many of you know that if he's talking to us, he's talking to us to live a fine line? The way that leads to life is what? Narrow. But the benefits are glorious. So to us, God's glorious message of healing is what we've been hearing for years. It belongs to us. It is ours. 
We are partakers of it. The table this morning is spread before you, just like that Bible is spread before you. Every need is met. It's already been done. He's already made provisions for your healing. It's not like, Lord, will you heal me? He already has. He already has. He has already bore all your diseases, carried all your pains, and by his stripes you were healed. Therefore, I approach him not will you. I approach him to say, I thank you, Lord, that by the stripes of Jesus I was healed. I don't feel healed. I don't look healed. And, man, I certainly... I'm not aware that I'm healed, but I am because you said I am. And I've said this, and I command my body to line up with the Word of God. I've laid my wallet on the Word before and said, I command you to line up with this book. It didn't overnight, but it'll work. Work for me. God is good. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you this morning for this word. This is like an old soldier, Lord. He's been in many wars in our lives. We've fired a lot of shots. Done a lot of warfare. Seen a lot of triumphs. Because this message, Lord, it always works. It works. When you came, Lord, to set the captives free, you were talking about us. Us that are sitting here this morning and our children, whoever else believes this. Those that are listening this morning, watching. You came to set us free. I pray, Lord, that that will be our testimony that we can give to anybody else that we're free. That we've been set free. We can cast all of our cares on Jesus. We don't have to be fretful anymore. He has delivered me from all of my fears, all of my anxieties, and we're free. Thank you for your healing message, O Lord. Bless it to our hearts as one of the things that we delight in the most in this life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Would you stand to your feet? Hallelujah. Let's sing a song and be on our merry way. Praise the Lord. How many of you are healed by the stripes of Jesus? Amen. Bless you, Lord. I will praise thee, O Lord, with all of my heart. I will suffer thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing. Sing surely, surely he has bore our diseases, and surely he has carried our pains, and by his stripes, by his stripes, by his stripes I am healed. Yes, surely he has bore our diseases, and surely he has carried our And by his stripes, by his stripes, by his stripes I am healed. Oh, surely, 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 surely he has bore our disease. Oh, surely he has bore our disease. 
surely he has carried our pains and by his stripes by his stripes by his stripes I am healed oh by his stripes by his stripes by his stripes I am healed hallelujah Amen. Amen. God is good, isn't it?